Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. It's the month of celebration for us. We are getting excited about the opening of school and to watch those little pre-K students and kindergarten students get out the bus and, you know, go to their classrooms. And so it's, it's a little disheartening that it has to be in a virtual environment uh, initially to open up the school year. It's August and the new school year is just around the corner. But the debate on reopening school rages on. For school leaders, it's been an unprecedented challenge. Not only are they responsible for their students' education, they're now also managing the health of their students, teachers, staff, and families. And as you can imagine, it's an incredibly difficult task. So this week, our podcast is going deep on all things education. To kick off the week, my colleague, CNN Senior Global Affairs Analyst, Biana Goladriga, sits down with Dr. Granita Lathan, the Interim Superintendent of HISD. That's the Houston Independent School District in Texas. Dr. Lathan runs the seventh largest school district in the country, with more than 200,000 students and 27,000 staff across 280 schools. And that's where Biana went to school when she was growing up in Houston. So together, they dive into the details of the district's reopening plans, their shared concerns as parents, and their optimism and hope for the future. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. And this is Coronavirus, Fact versus Fiction. Houston's the fourth largest city in the country. Um, it's the largest school district in the in the state, seventh largest school district in the nation. That's a lot of responsibility for you to oversee. How do you feel overall it, it has been going for you throughout these six months? Honestly speaking, it's it's been a difficult six months just worrying about my staff, my students, and how we are going to safely be able to serve them when we reopen school. On any given day, over a half a million people count on me to get it right. And, and you know, that's a, a heavy lift if you think about it. But I can't get disheartened because I have so many people counting on me. And it, it actually is a motivator. It's a motivator for me to make sure I empower my staff, empower my parents, that if I can handle it, they too can handle this and we can get through this together as a team. How has being a mother shaped your thinking and planning throughout this, I mean, this this unusual crisis? We're anticipating going back to college in my house. And it's like every day, though, I'm also telling my daughter, okay, we need to be prepared in case they move into their plan B, you know, and because it's a letdown for children not to be in school, whether they're in school or in college, because we all experience the joy of the socialization piece, which is so important. So the last time we spoke in May, you had your plans in place and were hoping for a August start to the school year. Um, That has now changed and you've announced plans for the fall. And that includes the first six weeks at least being online. Talk about what that's going to look like. 
The first six weeks of school, we will operate virtually with a goal of October 19th, bringing students back in phases. Now, what's interesting is some of our campuses will be able, with physical distancing, to actually accommodate all of their students. Because let's say a building that's built for 1,200 students, but they only have an enrollment of 300 Well, those campuses can actually plan for their students to be in school five days a week. Other students will be on an A day, B day, where you'll have students um, face to face three days a week or two days a week. And it will continue to rotate until we can safely get back to 100 percent capacity. How did you come up with this plan? We established a communicable disease uh, committee that was comprised of district principals, teachers, staff, uh, parents, parents that have a medical background. We also surveyed our teachers and our parents. And so that data also played a role into me making a decision around delaying the start of the school year. You know, two weeks ago when I announced that we were delaying, I believe we were about at 26% of positive cases. And at least five to 6,000 of my teachers actually live in the city of Houston. Going back to that parent survey, talk about the, the numbers that you saw and what surprised you coming out of it. And on the, the, the flip side, on the back end, I want to ask you about the difficulty that remote learning has posed for many families as well. Right around the July 2nd date when we closed the survey is when we saw another spike in the city of Houston. We saw only 18% of our teachers felt comfortable returning back to campus. The For parents, it was split. I believe it was like 46% and around 52%. And like I said, at the end of the day, you know, people say, well, children are not caring. You know, you hear all these things about children or not, but it's the adults that need to be healthy in order to serve our children. I will tell you, you know, remote learning has posed major problems for us as a district. In the spring, we had to turn on a dime. I mean, we immediately had to switch from face-to-face one day, and within a week, we were ready to go remote. We have about 23,000 students that will need a device between now and um, September 8th, and a device including some hotspots. We are prepared. Our orders are coming in, and we will be deploying those devices out. Children go to school not only for learning and and obviously uh, to socialize with their peers, but also for many of them, it's one of the two guaranteed meals that they have. Uh, What are you planning to do, given that you've extended the online learning for those students that depend on food and meals for school? Well, we will be offering uh, curbside meals uh, for our students at designated campuses across the district. I think it's about 75 of our campuses We will also be delivering meals out to large apartment complexes. And we actually started uh, a dry run of that this week where we were out at one of our most highly impacted communities. And so we set up a table outside. Parents and students were able to actually come and pick up their meals uh, from that location. As a nation, I think the consensus was, at least for the spring, that online learning um, was not a success for most families even for those that did have the technology to maintain the same level of academic learning that they experienced in the classroom, and obviously difficult for for teachers. What has changed in the process of online learning that makes you feel more confident that teachers and students are going to have a better experience? Well, number one, we have an instructional continuity plan that we've put together uh, that principals, teachers, and also there's a guide uh, for parents that they'll be that will be able to assist our parents. 
we didn't have that in the spring. You know, every school continued to operate based on uh, structures that they had in place. Also, what's different is in the fall, uh, lessons will be videotaped by the teacher. So a parent and student can go back later on and actually watch that video later if they need additional assistance. What's also different is grades will count. Attendance I heard will that. Count. <laughs> I know you heard that. <laughs> and I have to keep saying that. And, you know, high school students, they are so humorous. I had some high school students reach out and say, okay, can we just call it a wash now? Let's just agree that we'll all get C's and we'll move <laughs> forward. It's like, no, it's not going to work. <laughs> no, grades are going to count. But I'm so happy to hear that you are focusing on parents and involving them, because I have to tell you, as a mother of an eight and four-year-old, my eight-year-old was whizzing through his Zooms, and I was the one who was having to to sort of, you know, ask him for help in following what his plans were, because they adapt much quicker than parents do in many regards. What about the teachers? How are you handling the fact that there are many teachers out there that don't feel comfortable coming back to school at all? There will be options for definitely our teachers uh, to be able uh, to continue to teach virtually. Uh, being a large school district and a large employer, we must you know, follow a process. And so teachers will need to and other staff members will be able to submit kind of an application to apply to continue teaching virtually. You know, a teacher is at his or her best when they can be creative, when they can be moved and when they emotionally are in a good place. And if you're worried about your safety when you go into a building, they're not doing their best. Do you feel comfortable that you're going to have the majority of your students back into the system? Yes. And we are actually launching our Students Within Reach campaign. Uh, We will be placing billboards up in those locations where there was low participation or participation dropped off as we progress from March to June. We also phone calls, text messages, um, you know, opportunities to interview, be a participate in town halls also lends itself to people, us getting the message out. We will continue that all the way up until October 16th uh, until we've reached every child. When you and I first spoke, it seems that your plans were based on those CDC guidelines, keeping six feet apart, uh, one-way hallways, teachers moving classrooms as opposed to students. Um, And now we see these new guidelines from the CDC that don't necessarily stress that same amount of social distancing. How frustrating is that for you as you've laid out these concrete plans and now you're having to go back and adjust? You know, it, it gets a little bit confusing. I'll be honest with you. And I was on a uh, participating in a town hall last night and several of us on the call, several superintendents, you know, we laugh. We say, yes, you know, we are doctors, but we're not medical doctors. And but we've been we feel like we've been called on to be medical doctors during this time. You know, we're still going to exercise caution. We're, we still are going to exercise physical distancing. We've added signage. We've added um Dividers, even in our bathrooms, especially at the elementary uh, schools, we put dividers in between our sinks. So we're not going to uh, become relaxed until we know for for sure that there's a vaccine and there's a way to uh, address this virus. What was your initial reaction when you heard a few weeks ago, just as cases are starting or continuing to spike in Texas and in Houston, that there was a strong push for reopening of face-to-face schools? I agree that face-to-face is the best option for our students. But right now, just like I said, only with the dynamics of what's going on in the city of Houston and in Harris County, that does not work for the children and the staff members that I serve. 
And uh, of course, it was concerning when you hear, you know, your funding is going to be jeopardized when over 80 percent of your children come from homes of poverty, because not only are we going to we're paying all of this money uh, for our COVID expenses, we're going to have to provide intervention support for our students moving forward. And to say, okay, so we're all calculating what would it cost us per day if the state doesn't fund us? But at the end of the day, I had to also say, what will it cost me emotionally in our community emotionally if people die as a result of a decision of bringing all these people back when we know it's not safe? So let's talk about what the plan is when in class and face-to-face school resumes. What happens when you do have your first outbreak or your first case reported in a school? Uh, so if it is in a particular classroom and that's isolated to that, just that group of students and the teacher, so we will either close that particular classroom, we could close a wing of a particular school or department, or we can close that entire building. If the entire building needs to be closed or even a classroom, those students then would switch over to virtual learning for a set number of days until they can return back to the campus. Of course, immediately, uh, once we've closed either that classroom wing of the building or the entire building, we bring in a team that actually does uh, provides deep cleaning to that particular area or the entire um, campus. And then we will reopen. And I know we're going to see that throughout at least this school year. What keeps you up at night, Dr. Latham? You know, what keeps me up at night is worrying about children who do not have a um, stable home life. How do we make sure parents and students know that we're still here? We're still going to provide them what they need. You know, we stood up a, a mental health hotline in May. And I worry, uh, you know, when our funding runs out to support that, what happens, you know, uh, at least during the time that we're virtual. How do you think COVID-19 has changed education? And do you think that working through a pandemic has changed um, the, the process of how we teach our children indefinitely now going forward? Oh, it definitely has changed education. Our theme this year is the year of flexibility. Everyone has to think outside of the box. Uh, I remember receiving a text message from one of our high school uh, physical education teachers. And he was like, I'm just trying to find a way to motivate these students through this Microsoft Teams. Ooh. And he says that I'm having to run because I'm trying to make them run. And I think it also has opened our eyes that we as individuals and human beings need to be more caring and more loving about people's own, uh, people's individual situations. And that makes a difference because when you, like I said, when you're educating 210,000 students, we have to be our best, be at our best. Are you envious at all of other, I mean, this is by far the best country in the world. I came here as an immigrant as well, but I can't help but think of these other countries that have managed to keep their numbers down to a level where students can return to the classrooms. Do you look at these other countries and and think, you know, If only we could be in this position right now, maybe our children would be face-to-face much sooner and healthier. Oh, most definitely. I think back to when we were watching in December and January, watching the news, and it's like, oh my gosh, it was not going to happen to the United States of America, right? Uh, So yes, I'm very envious of those countries, uh, how they figured out how to take uh, return their students to -to face-to-face instruction, because that's what we want. And so I want us as a country to get it right so that things, and I don't know, I don't know if they'll ever return to normal, but so people can um, financially be successful and, and have the things that they want in life. 
What is your message to parents who are going to have to tell their kids, I'm sorry, you're going to be seeing friends you haven't seen in six, seven months and you can't hug them? That's something that we'll also be teaching as a school district. When we, at the beginning of the school, you always teach what the expectations are. And, you know, you can't hug your friends that we're going to have to be distanced from each other, but just know that there will be an opportunity to do that again. And I believe our, this group of students that are entering into the Houston Independent School District this year, that they're going to be better leaders in our country. And I think because of of what they've experienced as a result of, of being in a pandemic. I have so much appreciation and respect for school leaders, teachers, and staff who are doing their best to navigate this pandemic, not only for our children's education, but also for our society and our economy as a whole. But we are also in uncharted territory here. No one in the world has gone through what we are going through right now. And as Dr. Lathan said, I think the best thing we can do for ourselves, for our children, for our schools, is to be flexible and understanding and humble as the situation continues to change. Do remember, we are all in this together. Stay tuned because this week is all about education. If you have questions, please record them as a voice memo and email them to asksanjay at cnn.com. We might even include them on the next podcast. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.